Good morning, church. It's, uh, it's, been a, a, it's been a long couple of weeks. I don't know about you guys, but uh, it just feels like this psalm uh, is very timely just for, for my own soul as, as we uh, just are engaging with the, the heaviness of, of life around us. Um, and as I was preparing this sermon, I was, I was thinking about the, the concept uh, of peace and being led by a shepherd. And for some reason, the, the, a name kept coming to me. I don't know if you're familiar with the name of Christopher McCandless. Uh, he's actually, uh, he was the inspiration for the book uh, into the Wild in 1996, which was later made into a, a film in 2007, which uh, followed the events of his life. Uh, that he was a, a, a man born in, in 1968, and those closest to him often described him as a person who marched to the beat of a different drummer. In fact, in, in, in the book Into the Wild, uh, there's just this uh, repeated theme of uh, this feeling like Chris never felt like he truly fit in with the societal norms of the people around him. And so, after graduating from Emory, Emory University in 1990, he, uh, he donated his college savings, $24,000, to uh, a, a charity organization called Oxfam, which uh, fights uh, poverty and uh, families that are people that can't take care of themselves. He donated all of his money, packed up a, a few of his personal belongings, and became a vagabond just traveling across North America. And in 1992, uh, in April of 1992, with just a backpack barely filled with supplies, he hiked and hitchhiked to Fairfield, Alaska. And he was last seen alive on the Stampede Trail on April 28, 1992. Uh, and at this time of the year, the Stampede Trail in Alaska is still covered with snow. And so he was having difficulty making his way along the trail. And finally, uh, along an, an overgrown trail near Den Denali National Park, he found an abandoned bus. And so he decided to, to set up camp there. And, and detailed the, the, the days of his time being trapped there in the wilderness. And according to his journal, he survived for the next 113 days in the Alaskan wild, foraging for roots and berries and hunting small game. Uh, and he tried actually to escape several times, but as the snow was melting, the rivers grew larger and he was actually so unfamiliar with the terrain that he was unable to escape. His body was found September 2nd of 1992. And it's estimated that he starved to death um, two weeks prior to, to his body being found. He spent his entire life searching for self-identity, the worth of who he is as a person, and trying to find peace with who he is. And that search led to a self-imposed isolation that led him out into the wilderness of Alaska. 
And in a sense, he's almost become a, a piece of American mythology, the, the romanticized vagabond that packs up and leaves and travels and lives life on their own terms. But according to his journal, he died alone and frightened, never having found peace, true peace, with who he is or his place in this world. And I know that seems like a dramatic example of the struggle of finding peace. But the truth is, every person in here at some point has or is struggling with that search themselves. Or if you haven't begun that search yet, for you younger folk in here, it will come. Trying to find a peace in who you are and your place in this world. Unfortunately, when that peace cannot be found, people start turning to other sorts of coping. There's often turning to to things like alcohol or drugs or, or various forms of addiction. People become so obsessed with work and performance that they uh, fully immerse themselves and find their identity in their work and what they do and not who they are as a person. Sometimes some people just want to numb themselves, such as the drugs and alcohol, or even with entertainment. Culturally, we joke about the concept of Netflix and chill, but it's become so prevalent in our culture today that to just turn on the Netflix or Amazon or Hulu becomes a way of distracting ourselves from the things that are really bothering us in our everyday life. Or maybe people become so obsessed with spirituality or self-improvement and self-help, desperately trying to find a peace within, their, within themselves. And all of these are various forms of coping or distractions in the personal, lifelong struggle of the pursuit of peace. And in Psalm 23, we see that peace is not a thing to be acquired. It's not something that you hold onto, but it's found in the presence of the shepherd. As David writes here, the Lord, or actually he uses the covenant name of God, Yahweh, the risen Lord of the people of Israel. He specifically writes that Yahweh is his shepherd. And as we'll see in a bit, that Jesus applies this concept of being the good shepherd to himself. And I would even argue that Psalm 23 is telling people today that every person can find true peace when following Jesus Christ. Not, not in an oversimplified peace, as in this thought of the, the, the absence of conflict that everything will be made better or everything will become easy, but a peace within the midst of conflict. A peace that meets you where you are in the middle of life and all of the messiness and struggle of everyday life. And we see this in three different ways. First, in verses 1-3, through we see the shepherd who goes before you. In verses 4 and 5, we see the protector who is with you. And 
finally in verse 6, you see the faith that keeps you. And before I go any further, let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank You for this time that we can come and intentionally set aside our time to receive Your Word. That we, we come and we give thanks for who You are and we pray that in this time that You would pour out Your Spirit in this place, that You would speak through a broken, exhausted, and humbled man like myself. Not claiming my humility, but that You have made me humble. God, speak through me today. Proclaim Your truth to Your people. Transform our, our, our minds and renew our hearts by the power of Your Word. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Now once again, you see in the, the pretext for the psalm that it says, of David. And I know a lot of times if, if you're reading through the psalms, you just kind of see those, those pretexts at the beginning and just kind of skip over that. But those are helpful understandings that give you a bit of context to what the psalm is about because you're learning what it's for or who it's by. And in this case, knowing that this is a psalm of David helps convey the importance of the shepherd metaphor that this psalm is written from personal experience. That this isn't just something that David is making up. That If I were to write a psalm and say that the Lord is like an aerospace engineer, I would have no idea what I'm talking about because that is not my field of experience. I have not studied that. Not even for an ounce outside of watching PBS kids shows where the magic school bus goes to outer space. That is the limit of my understanding. But David writes that God is like a shepherd and he's writing from his personal experience having grown up as a shepherd himself. That Yahweh is his shepherd. Because David knew the tasks and what it meant to truly be a shepherd, to protect a flock, to lead a flock, to provide for a flock. And he finds peace and this God who is watching over him. And like David, you can find peace knowing and trusting a God that is the shepherd who goes before you. And the, the psalm actually opens with a summary statement by saying, Yahweh is my shepherd. Again, quick reminder, anytime you see Lord, all caps, that's the covenant name of God, Yahweh, the name that he gave to his people to show the relationship between him and his people. Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Hebrew here literally translates to, I do not lack. David is saying that with God as his shepherd, that there is nothing in his life that he is in need of. That everything he truly needs for his life, he is not lacking because the shepherd provides. throughout the Old Testament, throughout Scripture in general, there's a repeated theme of God being a shepherd for His people. If you look at the people in the wilderness after Moses led them out of Egypt, you see God literally leading His people through the wilderness in the, in the, the, the cloud, uh, the pillar of smoke and fire. He's literally leading them, but also the concept of a shepherd spiritually leading 
the flock of his people. In fact, in Genesis 48, uh, verse 15, you read, and he blessed Joseph and says, the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. That throughout Scripture, God's people are familiar with this concept of God leading them like a shepherd. Because people knew the responsibility of a shepherd, the, the tender care and the, 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 the guidance, the provision that a shepherd has to do to take care of his flock. And they naturally attribute that leadership, that guidance, that care with the Lord, the covenant God who provides for His people. In verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Again, not to dwell too deeply into the, the Hebrew text, but the, uh, He makes me to lie down is literally translated as He causes me to rest. That the Lord is leading His people to a place where they can rest and find peace. Because like sheep, people are easily distracted by the things around us. Easily frightened by the things that seem overwhelming. But that God is the one who brings His people to a place of rest and peace. That it's not by striving, it's not by chasing after things, but He is the one who leads His people to green pastures of provision and to still waters of rest. In verse 3, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. One more time, a literal translation for, for paths of righteousness is the right path. That God is leading him on the right paths for his name's sake. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in unfamiliar territory, but it can seem overwhelming. Not just that you're a place that you don't know, but when it's an unknown physical territory where there are crowds of people and it just seems like the hustle and bustle is adding to the confusion and the sense of lostness. Last October, Amy and I took the kids to the Coastal Carolina Fair. And it was their first time going to, to a, a, a fair or, or a carnival type event that was that large. And for our kids, it was a, a sensory overload. that There was just stuff everywhere and lights and sounds and people and it was overwhelming. And we had, we had Zachy in the, the stroller uh, Jeremiah was being carried most of the time, and Isaac and, and Mary were just kind of clinging to us because there was just so much going on that this unfamiliar territory was unsettling. And then as we're trying to find our, our way and, and figure out, get our bearings and figure out where everything is, where we realize that we're getting hungry and we need to, we actually at some point need, even if it is just fair food, we need to provide food for the family just for the endurance to keep going. And so Amy says to me, lead the way. And she and the kids followed me as I fought my way through the, the crowds of people and 
Uh, I mean, we ended up getting like the big giant kosher dog or, or, or the kibasa dog or whatever and the, the funnel cake and all. And clearly, fair food is not good for you. But still, she was trusting me to lead our family to this place where we could find provision and sustenance. And in a pale comparison, it's the image of God leading His people like a shepherd through the chaos through the unfamiliar territory to find provision, to find sustenance. That like a shepherd, He is walking ahead of His people that He is leading and guiding. That He is leading His people to places of rest and refreshment. And He is guiding His people down His right paths. And it begs the question, are you following the shepherd who is leading. There's the old phrase that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And that's very true for you and I in our own spiritual lives that the Lord as a shepherd can lead you to places of rest and refreshment. He can lead you down the right paths for His name's sake. But the question is, Are you resisting and fighting, kind of kicking and screaming along the way that this is not the path that you had intended? Do you complain that you cannot find peace and rest in your own life, but yet struggle with following God, resisting where He is leading? Who are you following? in your search for peace. And not only do you find peace in the shepherd who leads you, but Psalm 23 shows us that you can also find peace in the protector who is with you. One of the first things that pops out if, if you pay attention to the grammar of this is there's a, there's a shift in David's writing that as he was talking about the shepherd, he says, He does this. He leads. He provides. He causes me. And then he shifts in verse 4. He went from He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake to in verse 4 he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for You are with me. There's the shift of the impersonal He is doing this. He is doing that. He goes from talking about this shepherd to speaking more intimately and he says, God, I will not fear for You are with me. It indicates the presence of God. That this is not just a God who goes before. This is not just a God who uh, is disconnected from His people and leads but that this is a God who makes Himself known and His presence is felt. This is why David can say that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because the presence of God is with him along these paths of righteousness. That sometimes even the path that takes you through the valley is still the right path for God's name. 
A lot of times we expect faith to be sunshine and rainbows. That everything will be made better if we just if we do our Bible study, if, if you go to church every Sunday, if you, if you say your, your prayers every morning or, and you share that, that post on Facebook that Jesus loves everyone that reads this post. If you do all these right things, that there will be an absence of conflict. But sometimes the path of righteousness for His name's sake takes you through the valley of the shadow of death. But He is with you. Sometimes a shepherd had to walk his flock through a valley to get from one place to another. And there was always the threat of wild animals or bandits hiding in that valley, waiting to pounce on unsuspecting passers or passerbys. But it was still the path that needed to be taken. And David says that when we go down that path, I will not fear. Because you are with me. That this peace is not the removal of conflict, but it is the presence of God in the conflict. And then David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That a rod was actually uh, kind of like a short club. It was used for defense. It was used to, to, for protection and for attacking. That if an, a wild animal attacked or if, someone, if a, a person was trying to attack the flock, that the shepherd had a rod to not just defend themselves, but to protect the flock themselves. And the staff. Like the, the stereotypical shepherd's crook with the, the hook to help guide and lead, the staff was used for correction to lead the flock down the right paths. David finds comfort in the presence of God, saying, your rod and your staff comfort me because the shepherd is armed to defend his flock, his people. That is, the shepherd was willing to lay down his life for his flock. David says that the Lord is the shepherd that defends me. Jesus Himself says that He does this in John 10. He personifies Psalm 23. And Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus takes Psalm 23, the, the care and the passion and the leadership and presence of the Lord in Psalm 23, and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd who is willing to lay down his life to defend and protect his people. And he doesn't just protect his people, but he leads his people to victory in conflict. In verse 5, David writes, You prepare a table before me 
in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In the times of war in ancient Near East, when this psalm was written, it was common practice that as a nation would defeat their enemies, the captives that they took back, they would keep in bondage and force them to watch them celebrate. The captives were forced to watch the victors celebrate and feast and rejoice. Showing that they have truly been defeated. That they are such a non-concern that people can rejoice and celebrate in the presence of their enemies. And David says, you are doing this for me. That in the presence of my enemies, you are setting up a feast a banquet table where I can celebrate and rest. Not because of anything that I have done, but because of your power and what you have done. David is not the one defeating his enemies, but his enemies are placed under the authority and the power of the true king, the covenant God of Israel. This is... The same David who became a king after growing up as a shepherd who fought wild animals to protect his flock and even as a young man that he came to the battlefield and defeated Goliath, the the man that terrified the entire army of Israel. And as he grew as a leader and became a king that he led his people into battle, into war. And David says that he does not fear because his He knows the presence of God is with him. I don't know what your valley of the shadow of death is. I don't know what what your quote-unquote enemies may be. Maybe you actually do have people that are actively against you. Maybe there are things, that, there are spiritual elements in this world that you just feel like your life is under constant pressure and attack. Without getting into too much detail, it feels like our church has been just under attack for the past few weeks. Just the weight of emergency surgeries and, and, ex, and, and deaths and extended families and, and just there, there's been pain and hurt and it just feels like one thing after another. But we're placing our trust and our hope in a God who promises His presence. Not the removal of those horrible things, but we have a God that says, I am with you in those horrible things. The very real presence of God is with you. In John 14, Jesus says that when He leaves and goes to the Father, that the Father will send another Helper. That he's The promise of the Holy Spirit that for those who place their trust and their hope in Christ are given the gift of the Holy Spirit that this is not just the presence of a protector beside you, but it's the very real presence of God within you. The presence of God is with His people. And He promises to be with you in your conflict. 
And so with the shepherd who leads you and the, prote- the protector who is with you, you can find peace in the faith that keeps you. Moving on to verse 6, David writes that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. For those of you that have been here for the past several psalms, uh, there's this word that keeps coming up and every time it comes up, I say the same thing, that it is one of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. And it's the word chesed. Covenant faithfulness. That that one word conveys the promise of God to be with His people, to provide for His people, to protect His people. And when David says that goodness and mercy shall follow me, the word for mercy is that word Hesed. That David is saying goodness, the goodness of God and the covenant faithfulness of the covenant God of Israel is with me all the days of my life. This God who spoke reality into existence and promised to provide for His people will follow me all the days of my life. And the word here for follow is not the the begrudging sense of follow. Like for those of you with kids, whenever you have to run errands and you take your kids with you and just that sense of, oh, do I have to go? Or for those of you that are still kids, you probably still know what that feels like when your parents drag you all over town because they've got to pay bills and do all the stuff. It's not that sense of following but it is a a passionate pursuit. Uh, It's running after, it's hunting, it's chasing. It's this unrelenting following. That for those of you that are familiar, this is the pursuit in Lord of the Rings Two Towers when Merry and Pippin have been taken captive by the Urukai. And Gimli, Legolas, and Aragorn are chasing after them. It's not a casual stroll. Well, we'll get up to them eventually. But they're chasing after them. It is a relentless pursuit to save the lives of these people that they've come to love. That is the context of this word, follow. That it's not lazy. It's not disconnected. It is a relentless, passionate Pursuit And David says that the goodness and hesed covenant faithfulness of God will pursue me like that all the days of my life. And because of that, he's able to look beyond the temporal conflict. He's able to look beyond the, the crises that are going on currently in his life, whatever they may have been at that time. And he can say because of that faithfulness, I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. He has an eternal perspective because of the covenant promises of God. In the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, John is writing down visions of heaven. And he sees a great multitude from every nation come before the throne worshiping God. 
And one of the elders approaches John and says, and this is in chapter 7, that these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, that they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence." They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I don't know if you caught that, but He says the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, that Jesus Christ, God who came to earth in the flesh, who gave up the safety of heaven to dwell with His people. And like a shepherd, led them and was willing to lay down His life. Which is why He's called the Lamb of God because He took the role of the perfect sacrifice for the sins of His people. That even though He was sinless, He took your sin upon Himself and it was nailed to the cross and it died with Him on Calvary. That your sin was buried in the tomb. And that when He rose again three days later, that your sin was dead and He gives you His righteousness. That the Lamb who was slain becomes the shepherd and mighty King and great warrior. The risen Lamb of God will be the eternal shepherd. Not because of anything that you have done to earn His favor, to make Him love you more, but because of His love for you, His sheep. This is why Paul writes in Romans 8, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the faith that keeps you. Not your own good works, not your effort, not your abilities. Your faith is not dependent on the the conflicts that are around you are the distractions that try to take your eyes off of not just your trouble, but off of the one with you. The faith that keeps you is the faith of the eternal shepherd watching over you. I don't know what conflict it is that you have presently in your life right now, but I do know that the God that we serve is bigger and greater than any conflict not to trivialize whatever pain you might be feeling at this given time, but to give hope saying that whatever pain and difficulty and conflict and struggle you might be going through, that there is a God bigger than that pain, bigger than that conflict, saying, I will be with you. I will lead you and guide you and provide for you like a shepherd. He doesn't take away the conflict but He's with you 
end the conflict. So I have to ask, who will you follow? Will you give in to the distractions and just numb yourself to the reality of the conflict around you? Will you look to your own limited strength, hoping that if you just try hard enough, you can pull yourself up and just endure another conflict? Or will you trust and follow the shepherd who leads and guides? The shepherd who leads his people and promises to be with you in the conflict and to relentlessly and passionately pursue you with His goodness and His covenant faithfulness. Who will you follow? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You. God, we thank You that You are greater, far greater than anything we could ever hope for. We confess that far too often we are terrified of the conflict that is in our lives and the distractions that plague us. God, remind us that You are bigger than the conflict, that You are greater than the distractions. Remind us of Your goodness and faithfulness that that You will relentlessly pursue us with Your love. Remind us of the hope that we will dwell in Your house forever. Not because we've done anything to earn it, but because You have loved us and called us Your own. We thank You. And we love You. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.